0: He's a rehab doctor from Chicago.
1: She's an emergency medicine doctor from the Twin Cities.
0: Together, we're examining the health equity emergency.
1: Inviting voices for change without the cue cards.
0: I'm Dr. Carrie Haley.
1: I'm Dr. Stephen Jackson. And, and this, this is Off, off the, the Charts. charts. Welcome, everybody, back to Off the Charts, examining the health equity emergency. And today we're going to be having a conversation with Dr. Andrea Singh, and she serves as our department chair of pediatrics at Park Nicollet, as well as the co-lead of our children's health initiative. Welcome, Andrea.
2: Thanks, Steve. I appreciate you guys asking me to be here.
0: Thanks so much for coming on our podcast and our show. A huge part of pediatrics especially in the first couple months, are those immunizations. And part of something we want to talk with you about during the podcast is immunizations. So I have a couple of questions about them. Um, One being, how do you talk to kids about immunizations once they're old enough Mm -hmm. to be able to kind of do the consent-ish type stuff? And then two, disparities, just kind of commenting on it. So there are disparities um, within vaccination rates. And How do we how do we reconcile that? How do we what what things do we need to do to build uh, more trust and that we can get those disparities to lessen? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, Two really important things. So starting with the first uh, question, I think conversations about immunizations need to be honest and really explain without a lot of um, subtext. What we're doing we're protecting you against disease. A lot of immunization conversation, whether you have it with kids and parents or you have it with adults is about how you present it. We are being preventative in in giving you the immunization. And we are, you know, one poke may hurt. And you have to be honest about that with kids. You can't mm-hmm. pretend it's not gonna hurt and then it hurts because next time when they come back, they are definitely going to remember That's that. Right. Yes. That's right. Um but you you know have to say that you know there's gonna be a poke and and the reason that we're doing it is what you need to lead with that we're helping to make your body stronger and to fight illness so that you can do things like go to school and not be afraid to get you know sick all the time or you know a lot of it depends on the age of the child you're Mm -hmm. talking to because you have to tailor your message as a a person that cares for children in the medical setting to their developmental stage Mm -hmm. Um, so the way that i talk about a vaccine to a uh four-year-old who needs them to enter kindergarten is going to be different than the conversation I have with the 11-year-old. And I'll tell you a lot of times the 11-year-old conversation is harder and they're more scared (laughs) than the four-year-old. Yes. Um, So I think honesty, being upfront and, and really focusing on the goal and why we're doing this and that it's about strengthening your body in the same way we recommend that you get fruits and vegetables and good nutrition. We are helping you to kind of face the world. Now, the second question about the big disparity gaps with immunizations is a really important one and one that we've been really trying to focus on um, when we look at our work. And I think there are different pieces to that conversation. So, Unfortunately, uh, there are large immunization disparity gaps across the country and even in our own neighborhoods mm-hmm. and our own system. And And you have to acknowledge that first and foremost. We may think we are trying to do everything equitably. And unfortunately, when you look at the data, there are still gaps. Um, the rates of uh, Caucasian children that get vaccinated, for instance, with the first vaccines that we do in the first two years, there's about a 20% gap with kids um, that identify as patients of color. And um, so there's different things. Some of it is uh, internal systemic stuff that we have to look at. Are we offering the vaccines at the same rate? Are we doing the same kind of emphasis mm-hmm. on why they're important? Are you listening to parents and their concerns and, and adequately addressing them? And mm-hmm. there's lots of things that can get in the way that can cause uh, you know, unconscious bias when it comes to these immunizations, whether it is a language barrier that somebody doesn't understand the re- explanation that's given mm-hmm. and you don't uh, tailor it to what their language needs are or illiteracy? You know, are you using mm-hmm. words that don't quite fit and they don't understand and they're not even willing to say they don't understand? Um, or is it just that we are not giving the same opportunities you know to those individuals are we not pushing as hard or or recommending as often and mm-hmm. some of what we've tried to do in our system is make things a little more universal standardize some approaches to mm-hmm. things to kind of take away some of that um, unconscious bias but the second piece is also um in different communities there are different hesitations about vaccinations and i think that's extremely important to acknowledge and that's and right. and to know right off the bat as a pediatrician I tell people all the time 99.9% of the parents that I have come across in my almost 20 year career are parents that love their children. And when parents make decisions for their kids, they're doing it out of love. They think that they are making the best choice. Mm-hmm. And so That's when a, a certain culture is hesitant about a particular vaccine, We, as the medical providers or the individuals recommending the vaccine, really have to stop and listen and not judge and not say, "Okay, well, you don't care about your kid. Therefore, you're Mm -hmm. not doing what I recommend. Mm -hmm. That's the wrong approach that will not help you build the trust that you need to help them understand why you think it's so important.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, I think, honestly, you have a hard job because, you know, uh, again, you know, for myself, I build trust. With adults for the most part. Um, and then you have to build trust with both the kids and the parents. And if you don't build the trust, then that could be detrimental to the care that's recommended. We often talk about how some folks don't even go to the doctor because they have a, a mistrust or distrust of healthcare or or a particular physician, uh, et cetera. Um, what are... Any stories that maybe stand out to you that maybe didn't go as well in terms of building trust and developing that relationship with the parents?
2: When I think about, I mean, every pediatrician has tons of stories, mm-hmm. things that went well <laughs> and things that didn't go well,
1: right? I'm sure. <laughs> there are
2: absolutely some families that I still have a good relationship with, but they are not ready mm-hmm. for certain, you know, certain vaccines or certain recommendations that I might have. It might not even be vaccinations, but mm-hmm. oftentimes in pediatrics it is. And um, I think what is important is continuing to have the conversation uh, with those families. I can think of one particular family that um, culturally, they have refused all vaccinations. And I've taken care of their whole family of kids since they were born, basically. And now quite a few of them are teenagers in that family. And it's not a discussion that I stop having. Right. Mm-hmm. And they know that my approach to their family and their kids is one of genuine um, interest in doing what's right for their kids. But I'm not going to push them into something they don't feel comfortable doing mm-hmm. because then I'm going to lose them. They're not they've got a bazillion providers they could come and see. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's nothing special about walking into my door other than I hope we've built that relationship, you know, yeah. and, and, and so. That mom keeps coming back and she knows every time I'm going to say, hey, did you change your mind this time? Or what do you think about this new COVID vaccine? You know, if there's something different, <laughs> we're going to talk about it. And, and it has to be a safe place and a safe setting for us to have that conversation. Otherwise, it's going, if, if you don't talk about it at all, like, then you know what the answer is, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or if you yep. talk about it in a way with animosity, again, they're not going to come back and seek your help when their child is in real trouble.
1: Well well, I think, you know, one one thing that I think you're highlighting is the fact that, you know, healthcare isn't about us as as doctors. It's about the people we serve. And if you if you were to walk in to, you know, the clinic with your script with the clear cut goal of getting them to agree, it's almost like making a sale. I have to get them to say yes and sign on the dotted line. If that's your approach, well you're going to miss a lot of people. But walking, you know, in curiosity, and figuring out, well, okay, they're not non-compliant. They're, they obviously have a hesitation to this recommended treatment or vaccine, whatever the case is, you know what is it? And learning. And I think people, people appreciate the fact that you want to know why. You want to know their why. And if you know their why, it might lead them to knowing the why of why you're recommending what you're recommending. I think that's building trust in real time.
2: And I am also fortunate because I am a parent myself. And so Mm -hmm. for me, I think it's about knowing their why and actually telling them a little bit about my why and what decision I made for my own children. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. while my circumstance might be different than their circumstance, the common circumstance that we have is that we love our kids and we would do anything Mm -hmm. for our kids. And so um, there have been studies that have shown that uh, for parents, one of the most influential factors in helping them change their mind about vaccines or any you know kind of care mm-hmm. is the recommendation of their doctor. And I think hmm. sometimes we are hesitant to share our own why because we don't want to step on any toes Mm -hmm. or we don't want to cross a line. Mm -hmm. And obviously you don't, you're not crossing too many lines, but you can, I explain all the time, like, this is the reason I did, you know, COVID vaccine, for example, for my adolescent boys, Mm -hmm. knowing all the data and all the concerns about, you know, potential side effects, I felt it was the right choice for my family and my, my own children. And it's the reason that I'm recommending it for you and your children. Um, You know, it gives people a little bit of food for thought, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think, you know, I think it's great that Mm -hmm. you're bringing that humanity piece. And one thing that we've always talked to about on the show is, you know, we're doctors, but we're also humans. We're also the parent, too. Mm -hmm. We're also so I've also found, you know, in our in the in my personal experience that sometimes bringing up the fact that you're a mom or that (laughs) I this happened to my kid, too, when they were that age goes leaps and bounds, like building that trust compared to you just coming in as the doctor saying, shaking your finger, saying this is what you need to do, Mm -hmm. Uh, bringing it back home to the, well, when my kid was this age, this is what happened as well. And this is why I thought that doing this was the right thing or not the right thing. And I think that that just brings that level of trust, instantly, almost, um, as parent to parent, almost.
2: Yeah, well, you think about it. It's human nature, right? I mean, we oftentimes lament the influence that social media has on everybody. Mm -hmm. But why (laughs) are people looking at social media? They're looking to social media a lot of times to form that connection to say mm-hmm. okay oh that you know post was like me or that tick oh i could totally relate to that you know tiktok and, and or the, that mm-hmm. insta you know or that snap or whatever it is that you're looking at at the moment and the fact is we are very privileged as medical clinicians to be able to to create that connection in person yes. with <laughs> patients in front of us <laughs> where we don't necessarily need we can do the same thing that social media does, but in real life. Yes. Right? And that's, I think, the trust that you're talking about, Carrie.
0: Yes. No, I think that, to me that's almost brings you, you know, that little happy jolt in yeah. your day, you know, when you get to make that human-to-human connection where you're like, ah, I think we're on the same page. You know, one of the interesting things that we've heard from other other clinicians is kind of their path to where they are right now. So what made you decide that you wanted to take care of little people?
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was one of those rare beings that knew right from the get go that I my life was going to involve other kids. Like if you at my, if you ask my parents in kindergarten, I would tell people that I was going to be a pediatrician. I think, hmm. though, really that um, my lifelong passion has been teaching and um helping people learn. And pediatrics was this beautiful blend of science and advocacy and teaching, because that's really what I do every day.
1: Wow. That's uh, that's interesting, because I think I was the opposite in mm-hmm. that I knew that I didn't want to do pediatrics <laughs> really early. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we have a slew of kids, and I said, I get enough pediatrics at home. So, you know, but but thank you for what you do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is a health equity show and we explore topics from trust to, you know, anti-racism to, you know, partnerships built on trust, things like that. Um, where are you in this space? Where, where's your passion and where does it lie when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion?
2: I think my passion lies in helping people advocate for themselves. And that starts with our youngest kids. But, you know, the way and the direction, my path toward that passion really came from the fact that my parents were both, you know, immigrants that came to this country. Hmm. They're they're from a small country called Guyana in South America. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people don't realize that in South America, there are some countries such as Guyana where there is a mix of people of different backgrounds that were brought as indentured servants to plant sugar and plant rice um, by the British Empire. And then they landed in the Caribbean. So, mm-hmm. you know, we call that area the West Indies. Mm-hmm. And um, so my family is West Indian from Guyana. And when my parents came to the US and landed in Minnesota, they were here for an education, they were here to better themselves. Um, and not because they really wanted to explore the 40 degree below zero temperatures. <laughs> Why not? That they, yeah. It's um, cold
0: here.
2: <laughs> uh, so it's very different than where they grew up. But they felt here was the place where they would have the most educational opportunity. So knowing that my parents came to the U.S. with like 25 cents in their pocket and my uncle's phone number, and that was it, when I enter the... Equity space. And when I have these conversations, to me, it's something built in as a brown child that grew up in Minnesota where there weren't a lot of brown children around me at the time. Mm -hmm. And my experience in integrating two really different cultures together and figuring out who I was, right? Like, Mm -hmm. where is my place in all of that? You know, it's an experience that a lot of other people have had. Mm -hmm. But I also take in now that piece about, I know I want to work with kids. I knew I wanted to be in pediatrics. And I saw as I moved through, you know, my training and my career, how much more diverse Minnesota has become and how much of an opportunity there was to help people understand some of the whole internal conflict that I faced as a child, you know, and mm-hmm. maybe not even conflict isn't the right word, but the internal challenges I faced that might not have been outward facing, mm-hmm. but were part of growing up in two cultures. Right. So that I think. So my passion in the equity space, to get back to your question, is about helping people understand um child development and how your identity is framed and how we can use those different beautiful identities and cultures and background experiences to help people color our world and and make the world a better place. But it all stems from respect.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's super, that's very powerful. I, similar to Steve, knew that I probably did not want to do pediatrics. Hearing you talk about the respect and the education piece, how do you, how do you put both of those together? Because really, it seems like, you know, when you're taking care of pediatrics, taking care of the, the child, but you're also kind of educating and helping with the parent as well. So how do you meld those two yeah. things?
2: Yeah, I love that. And I also will say right off the bat that I knew right away I did not want to do ER. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Another thing,
2: you're right. Yeah. I did not want to do ER. That was too scary for me. Um, You know, in a lot of ways, that. When I say that teaching was my thing and that I went to pediatrics, it was because you are teaching two people all the time. Like from mm-hmm. the minute the newborn is brought to you, um, you're teaching the parents about this gigantic responsibility that they have in front of them, but how wonderful it is at the yeah. same time and how almost everything that a parent does influences that child's life, right? And And what a great responsibility that is. But at the same time, as that child grows in front of me as their primary care provider that I get to see the kids on a semi-regular basis, if they're healthy, I'm helping them grow into themselves, right? And feel comfortable in their own bodies, but in the world. And, you know. I think there's an added responsibility as a healthcare provider to help people feel comfortable in the medical space. Mm-hmm. Like yes. how many of us know people that are just the minute they step into a doctor's office, they're freaked out, right? And and mm-hmm. it's a it's a frightening place to be. And it's also the place where you're most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So My theory is if I can teach them right from the get-go to be excited about coming to the doctor, that it's a fun place, that it's a place where they can feel secure and non-threatened and share their concerns, then I hope that that carries with them after they graduate from me in pediatrics Mm -hmm. and move on to the adult world.
1: I think that's amazing. I kind of think that you're doing our work for us because you get (laughs) the adults before they're adults, right? Yeah. Uh, We talk a lot about trust and building trust. Uh, What are some of the things that you've learned over the years, Uh, you know, even some key, you know, anecdotes in building trust with kids?
2: Number one, you have to treat kids like they're human beings. Hmm. You know, I think there is often a misconception that kids won't understand. And so we'll talk over the kids or we'll talk around the kids, but as a pediatrician, hmm. the child is my patient. So you know, giving them the respect that they deserve to ask their perspective mm-hmm. is a really key part of it.
1: That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure you get questions like, "Oh boy, should I answer that?" But I, I love how <laughs> because I mean, I, kids I, say
0: I, the darndest things. I mean, do they you? do. I,
1: I, I was one of those kids, and you know, doctors would use you know, certain terms, you know, you know, kid like terms to describe, you know, very important parts of the body. Mm -hmm. Let's just put it that way. And my mom was like, don't use that word. Tell him what it is. Tell you know, and um, and it sounds like you're saying that same thing because, you know, kids are your patients. They're not just, you know, kids. (laughs) kids. <laughs> yep.
2: I mean, really, I kind of view every interaction that I have with a, a kiddo in front of me as a teaching opportunity, whether mm-hmm. they're there for a broken ankle or a sore throat or a well-child visit, which is maybe more obvious to people. But I have a chance to tell, teach them about their body. They're, they're not going to be living with me for the rest of their life, but they're going to be living with their body, right? Mm-hmm. So that's where my focus really tends to be. The best, okay, there's two the best scenarios here. One the best is when you're talking to a toddler and they're like, you know, mom says, oh, they just talk about you every time they drive by or, Aww. you know, they want to come That's visit awesome. you. That's awesome <laughs> because it means that you've done a good job, again, making them feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. But the other best is the teenager that doesn't talk to anybody and then, like, you know, comes into the office and says, Dr. Singh, can I spill the tea? And I'm like, yeah, spill away. Like, let's chat. <laughs> you know? That's um, great
1: but yeah. i you know on, on the subject of immunizations i i i have a question do you call immunizations shots like what like in your office what do you say cuz when i hear shot question. you know i'm i'm north of 45 okay yeah. now my age is out there anyway um you know i'm i'm not i'm not a 10 year old right but i hear shot and i i think about something negative so what what do you say in practice
2: yeah it's a good question i guess i've <laughs> never really thought about it. I think most often I will use the term vaccine. Um, OK, but I will pretty smooth. Say, but, I, well, but I will say shot because if if they don't understand what a vaccine is, uh-huh. again, it's the no surprises factor. I'm not going to say, oh, then, you know, staff will be in in a minute to give you your vaccines and then set them up for failure because somebody's walking in with a bunch of shots. And that might
1: hurt trust next yeah, time. Exactly. No,
2: no, no. Like, you know, I need to make sure that they so oftentimes I'll reflect what the parent has used. Okay. Right. And so because okay. most of the time the parent has talked about it or the parent has used some term and so I will reflect that back and in, 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 in my explanation of why this is important um, we'll use those terms that's probably what's being used at home
0: interesting that is really interesting shot <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite age to take care of uh, I'm sure that's a very hard question because actually, actually they're all so a different really but... <laughs> hard
2: question um honestly I love five-year-olds Five-year-olds are just the best because a lot of times they're just so full of energy and they're right at that place where they're going to start kindergarten and, you know, school is still exciting and fun and they want to tell you all about it. Um, And, you know, fortunately, most kindergartners are not yet jaded by the world or having (laughs) other issues. We're seeing it more, um, sadly. But I think I really like the five-year-olds. Five-year-olds are pretty yeah. cool. I have one. Yeah, they're pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I had five-year-olds. Now they're <laughs> a little older than five now. Yeah, And I <laughs> should say, I love
2: my teenagers. I I really do. I think that there's just such a different level of conversation you can have. And my kids are teenagers now. I think it's really fun to hear their perspective on things. And, and uh, re- they teach me a lot. I mean, all the kids teach me a lot, but especially mm-hmm. my teenagers.
1: Do you feel a sense of responsibility um, to what's the word? Not not necessarily co-parent, but you're obviously a very important figure in a kid's life. I mean, you're their, you're their doctor and you said when they see you, it's probably a really good day or a really not so good day. And, you know, the whole concept of trust. I mean, we're, we're talking about a lot of a lot of things in that dynamic, you know, talk about maybe. A potential sense of responsibility that you feel uh in terms of your role in in your patient's lives
2: it is a big sense of responsibility mm-hmm. there are there was a study that came out I believe it was in the 90s um that talked about the fact that children that were able to identify one trusted adult in their life mm. were much less likely to have mental health issues and obviously we you know we're something? facing. A, child mental health crisis right Mm -hmm, now. mm -hmm. That's a whole topic for a different podcast. But being a trusted adult in the child's life, I'm not trying to take the place of their parent. I got my own kids to parent. and that's (laughs) a whole different situation. But I can play the role of somebody that they can trust and turn to um, for questions about their own life or for support in that moment. And, you know, bringing it back to the equity conversation, I think, one of the things that I find personally very important is helping kids, um, especially kids of diverse backgrounds, see themselves in me. Mm-hmm. So when I have a, a child in the office and they go on, you know, I walk in and they're sitting in my chair I point out the fact that maybe someday they will be doctor so-and-so, or maybe they'll come join me or, you know, spend some time because they need to see themselves in that place. Right. And some Mm -hmm. kids don't hear that, you know, for whatever reason in their environment, they are not looked upon as having the potential to do that. And Mm -hmm. I will tell you, any kid has potential to do anything. Um, And so, you know, when they see, when they see me, I want them to see themselves, Right. Mm -hmm. Just a normal person that has this job where I get to help people all the time Mm -hmm. because that's all it comes down to. Right. Um, And and so that's where I see the power in this role and the power in teaching these kids about themselves. I was telling my um, department (laughs) the other day or, or. maybe it was just my colleagues locally, but that one of my new favorite questions to ask kids of all ages is what are you good at? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not a question that I typically was asking before. Mm -hmm. And I realized a lot of these kids can't answer that question. And they may not be asked that question Mm -hmm. very often in their home environments. So you know what? I'm going to ask it and I'm going to let them answer and give them the space and the, the, to think about themselves in a different way. These days, kids don't wanna even answer that question because they either think they're bragging if they say that they're good at something or they honestly don't see themselves as good at something. And so Mm -hmm. I'm asking that question and forcing them to think about that. Because again, it's about building them up from the inside so that when they do come to the adult world and they do have to problem solve for themselves and live life, that they've got the tools in their toolkit to be able to do it and approach life in a way that allows them to have resiliency and power and and be who they are, not an image of like somebody else.
0: Mm -hmm. That's an amazing message, I think, for kids, but also adults um, and the general population at this time. Um, I'd love to hear a story about one of your favorite success, what you would consider a success, um, be it You convince someone to do something that they were hesitant to do before or like this kid just went from, you know, underdeveloped to like excelling or whatever it may be.
2: Yeah. Uh, Since we're talking about immunizations, I'll give you an example about uh, uh, immunizations. Um, And then this relates to the COVID vaccine. I had... A family that came in, again, a family that I have been taking care of their, their children for a long time. And it's an African-American family. And they had a lot of questions about uh, COVID vaccine and whether to do it. I had noticed prior to them coming in that they hadn't gotten it for either one of their kiddos yet. They have a boy and a girl. And um, actually, I think the young lady was too young for it at that moment in time. But the the son was old enough to get it. And they were coming in for a checkup. When they came in, uh, I asked the question, you know, I said, hey guys, let's let's talk about COVID vaccine and see, you know, uh, we know that this is an awful illness and that the vaccine's really effective. We talked through that and, she, and the dad looked at me and he said, Dr. Singh, we've been waiting to talk to you about this because I really wanted to hear what you had to say and whatever you say, we're gonna do. And I said, well, I don't want you just to do whatever I say, right? That's the wrong <laughs> thing. But let's talk about the reasons why I think it's a good idea. Again, brought in my own sons. This is the reason that I did it for my boys. Mm-hmm. And here's my recommendation. And the dad and the mom looked at each other and and they were like, well, yeah, Junior's going to get it. And you know what, Dr. saying you convinced me. Can I get mine too? Uh-huh. And dad got wow. his vaccine that same day which was super cool. That is super
0: cool. That is amazing. Yeah. Mm.
2: So, I know. I wish they were all good stories like that, but, you know, we have our ups and downs, but we just try our best. And you hope that people walk away with something.
1: Well, you're obviously making a a powerful impact uh, in communities. And uh, we're very fortunate to have you uh, in doing what you're doing. And even that story, it just highlights the fact that, you know, you put in the time. I'm sure that didn't happen overnight. Uh, but for, you know, a patient or a patient's dad to say, whatever you say we're going to do. Well, that's that's the epitome of I trust you. I mean, I think about the trust game. People close their eyes and they just fall back. It's like, well, Dr. Singh is going to catch me. And so. We're so appreciative of what you're doing. I want to say thank you for your time today.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for taking care of all of the children out there. Um, they are so lucky to have you as their doctor. And just as a little shout out, if you have any thoughts of future subjects or people you want to hear on the podcast, please give us an email at offthecharts@healthpartners.com. at healthpartners.com.
2: And thank you both for what you're doing. And this podcast is wonderful. And I encourage everybody to keep listening. You hear that? Learn a lot.
1: Keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, doctor. Off the Charts is a production of Health Partners and Park Nicollet.
0: It is recorded by Jimmy Bellamy, with creative by Peggy Arntzen, Tina Long, Tim Myers, and Jeff Dahl.
1: Production services provided by Matriarch Digital Media.
0: Our theme music is by Ryan Ike.